Our gospel reading comes to us from uh, the Gospel of St. Luke, starting in the ninth chapter and the 28th verse. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. He is Jesus in this passage. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so much that he foams at the mouth and shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I with you to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the spirit threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, this uh, story about the transfiguration of Jesus is one of the more well-known kind of iconic images of the life of Jesus that we have in the Gospels. And I want to think with you about it this morning as really telling a story about two different visions or conceptions of faith, really two stories about glory, two stories about glory. And in the first story, uh, a story that uh, is well-known to most people of uh, biblical faith, people from both the Jewish and Christian traditions. We have this story of a God who is high and lifted up. You might call it the, the story of glory that is characterized by the mountain, by the mountain. And in fact, Moses and Elijah are these two emblematic figures from the history of, of the, the faith of God, uh, the people of God who show up in this story uh, it's no accident that they show up with Jesus here at the top of a mountain. Because for Moses, uh, ma- the mountaintop, the mountain place, was the place where he encountered God in a unique and special way. Right? Whether it was early on in the story of Moses when he's uh, herding sheep through the mountains and he comes up- across a burning bush and is famously told, remove your sandals 
for the place that you're standing is holy ground. Or more climactically for Moses, after the Exodus, after God has, has delivered the people out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt, Moses brings them back to that mountain place. And the people are assembled at the base of the mountain. And God calls Moses up and tells everyone else to stay below. And at the top of the mountain, God reveals the law to Moses. Moses, who's hidden in the cleft of the rock because God's glory is so intense, so bright, so fiery that he can't look upon it without being consumed himself. The people even further back because for them to approach God would be so dangerous. So intense was the glory of God. And in fact, uh, the, the narrator tells us as Moses comes down the mountain that his face shone so brightly from this encounter with God's glory that the people begged him to put a veil over his face to shield them from the brightness of God's glory, which was now reflected on the face of Moses. Elijah himself also is known for encounters with God on the mountain place where he uh, famously defeated the prophets of, of Baal and proved the power and strength of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on the mountaintop where fire descended upon Elijah's offering and then consumed the false prophets. Most notably, Moses and Elijah show up in this story, I think, uh, partly because of the way that their stories ended, their departure stories. Moses ends his life on the mountaintop once again as the people are brought to the promised land. And the people of, of Israel in Jesus' day uh, used to think a lot about the fact that we didn't know much about how Moses died or where he was buried. And they speculated. There were traditions that sprang up over the centuries that Moses had actually been carried up from that mountaintop experience, that final mountaintop encounter with God, that he had not died an, a usual death like most of us, uh, but had been carried up. Had his body had been assumed. He had escaped the last death, the last insult of death. Elijah, of course, in his departure story, is swept up in a chariot of fire by God and taken away into the realm of God, never to be seen again. Moses and Elijah are these two most holy prophets of Israel. Holy, not because they themselves were holy, but because they stood between the people and God. They were the instruments, the reflections of God's glory and power. They led God's people in triumph over their enemies. They were so close to God, so intimate with God, that at the ends of their lives, they too were swept up, carried away by God. And here, in the story of Jesus and the Mount of Transfiguration, the topic of conversation, we're told, will be Jesus' departure. We're told they appeared in glory, Moses and Elijah, and we're speaking of he, his, Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And I said this was a story about two kinds of glory, two different uh, types of faith, two, two different sort of religious expectations, stories about who God is and where we can encounter God. One, the story of the mountaintop with fire and intense burning holiness. And for many people, for many of us, faith 
in God is thought of as a way to escape the, the ordinary, mundane, daily life that takes place at the foot of the mountain and to be swept up into this story of glory. Perhaps it's a way to even escape our own death or the, the taste of suffering. We think about it ourselves, sometimes unconsciously in this way. When good things happen to us, people of faith, we tend to give credit to God, right? I, I didn't know what to do. I was at the end of my wits and I prayed and God made a way where there seemed to be no way. God delivered me from some calamity, from some sickness, from not having a job, from my loneliness. And God, God, God heard my prayers and, and, and we give credit to God for that. Or conversely, when bad things happen, we ask God, we plead with God to intervene, to come and rescue, to come and save, to come and deliver. When God doesn't intervene, we sometimes wonder and question, why? God, where are you? God of glory, who delivered the people out of bondage to Israel, where are you now in my life? Why haven't you delivered me? Or perhaps we see the suffering of others, and we often thoughtlessly assume that it might be because they need God in their lives, that if, if, they, if they only invited God into that space of suffering, whether it's a, a space of addiction or a space of poverty or a, a place of great suffering, that if only God was a part of their story, that they might be delivered themselves. It's pretty normal to think that being a Christian, that being a person of faith would actually lessen suffering in our lives. I mean, who would sign up for faith if we're told, it would, it's not going to actually help you live a better life. It's not going to, it's not going to um, make your life any better. In fact, it might make it a lot worse. And we see this a little bit in the response of Peter, right? Peter says, this is good. We should stay here. We should stay here where there's glory and power and light and a revelation of God's uh, holiness here at the mountain. Let's stay here. Let's build three tents. Let's tabernacle here. That was the response of Peter. Martin Luther, the uh, 16th century theologian, described these two competing stories of glory, one of the, which we'll, we'll get into more as we, as we go on in the story. But he, he described these, these theologies as a theology of glory and a theology of the cross. You see, he said theologians of glory, and he was describing ordinary Christians like you and I, uh, we assume that we already know a lot about who God is and what God does and where God can be found because we already know a lot about good and evil. We already know what foolishness and wisdom is. We already know what a good person and a bad person are. We have in our minds what it would look like for someone to walk closely with God and what it is like for a person to stray far away from the path of God. And because we already know all of these things, we must already know that God is just bigger and more of those things. We know what power looks like. We know what health looks like. And so God must be just more of those things. True glory must be greater glory than the kind of glory we see in our daily lives. And Peter's response to this in that way is, truly natural and normal. 
And even Jesus, if we fast forward to the end of his life, as he is on the eve of his departure in Jerusalem, he prays, not much different than Peter. Is there any other way than the way that I'm about to take on? The story of glory, the mountaintop glory, is a normal and natural story for us to believe in. Religion is supposed to improve our lives. It's supposed to make sense of the confusions of our lives. Closeness to God should be some benefit, some protection, some access to power that we don't have on our own, right? But this is how a theologian of glory understands God and where we can find God. Up on the mountaintop, in a special place of intense holiness. But it's not the story of Jesus. It's not the story of the gospel. It's not the story that Jesus and Elijah and Moses were discussing on that night. In fact, we find as the story unfolds, of course, that Jesus was not a, a theologian of glory on the mountaintop. His starting place was the cross. The theology of glory that he lived his life by and pursued until the end was a theology of glory it was revealed most fully and most completely in the story of suffering in the place of sorrow and loneliness. The cross, Jesus' departure, was the place that everyone would look at, even those closest to him, and would say, God has abandoned that. God has left that man. There is no glory to be found here. Here, though, Jesus teaches us was the clearest picture of who God is. And so the Apostle Paul says, we behold his glory not with a veil over our face, not shining in brightness, but in the most ordinary experience of all, the place of suffering, the place of abandonment, the place of death. Jesus taught us that this was the fullest picture of who God is and where we can find God. This place, which is a place of shame, was in fact the holiest place of all. Not a mountaintop high above, not a holiest temple uh, room of all, not, not the center of the temple, but the place of his shame and suffering. You see, the story of Jesus redefines what glory means, and redefines what faithfulness is. It turns, its on, turns it on its head. And so faithfulness is, for Jesus, not setting up three tents, but heeding God's call to enter into the time of his suffering and death, not despite his closeness to God, not as something to get through in order to achieve greater glory, but as the place of God's fullest glory, where we behold God face to face with no veil to shield us. To face this fear of suffering and death and to embrace the cross as the pathway to glory was the pathway of Jesus. And the reason I think that this is a story of two different kinds of glory, these two different kinds of stories is is not only because of what they were talking about at the top of the mountain, 
It's because this last part of the story that we just heard. Not only did they not take up Peter's suggestion to stay there, they turned down the mountain and the next day were told that Jesus brought them immediately to a place of suffering. A small boy, a child, who is seized by spirits that cause him to convulse. And no one seems to be able to know what to do for this child. Not even Jesus' disciples. They can't zap him with a magic prayer. They can't lay hands on them and him and cast out the spirit. And Jesus says, this is where we are to go. This is the path to glory, the place of great need. This is the theology of the cross. This is the glory of the cross. And so wherever it is that God calls you this week, know this, that the face of God might be seen most clearly in the place of your greatest need, in the place of your greatest lack, in the place of your greatest hurts, because this is where the glory of God is fully and finally seen as we follow the footsteps of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, unshielded, this glory of the cross, which is not a glory that makes us rich or shine like the sun. It is not a glory that asks us to remove our shoes from our feet. It is not a holiness that is unattainable except to the greatest saints. It is a holiness of the grit and the dirt and the messes of our lives. Help us to see, even in the smallest places of need, a clear picture of this glory of the cross that you have called us to take upon our shoulders and walk and follow by faith in your Son. Amen.